All right. We are walking our way through two parallel trajectories. The one is a very systematic unpackaging of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, as I am led to believe we should say it, and going deeper. So week by week, we take a passage from Habakkuk, we teach it, explore it, dialogue around it, and then the following Sunday, we see how we can go deeper into that truth. That's in part why there's such power in our home groups. When we do dinner around the table in about seven different groups around the city, um, and we dig a little deeper into the truths that God is gently, kindly walking us through. But I want to start off with something different, and I'll just take about five minutes or so with this. So you all know I have and I love my daily devotion. Those of you here for the first time or you haven't been around much, for many years now, I mean decades actually, I have so loved waking up early in the morning and I go downstairs and I get my Bible and my journal. I make a cup of tea or coffee back in the day and normally I grab a banana, banana, and, uh, and I write down the things that I would love God to speak to me about. Sometimes it's just gratitude. Some, in fact, I start every morning off with thanks. God, I'm so thankful for. You appear often in my book. Um, and then I write down the things that I'm inquisitive by. God, are you saying this? Are you doing this? Are you sure that's what we should give ourselves to? And then invariably on the other complimentary page is my Old Testament reading and my New Testament reading. So this morning, my New Testament reading was this. And I want to father you for a moment if I can. Those of you who don't know, I had three kids, have. My eldest daughter is 36 and lives in, 35 and lives in Perth, Australia. I haven't seen her for two years. My middle daughter is Dana, who led worship. My son is living in San Diego. He's 22. But there have been moments with each one of them that I've kind of done this. I'll explain it to you. Paul, the great apostle, the lover of the Corinthian church, a church that had it incredibly hard, incredibly challenging. He said, chapter 11, verse 1, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Oh, that's... That's so cool. And I can picture myself sitting with one of my daughters saying, listen, you know, you may think dad's a little nuts right now, but but can you put up with that? Are you okay that I'm going to act just a little bit crazy? He said, yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. When my girls were small, I took them each in one hand and I knelt before God and said, Lord, I have no idea how to raise daughters. Will you teach me? And I felt the Spirit of God put into my heart, prepare them for another. And I can't tell you how that shaped my parenting. From that moment in time onwards, almost everything I did, of course there were times I was human and crazy and foolish, but generally it was there to prepare them for another. In Dana's case for Stu, in Nasser's case for Mark, but in all cases for Jesus. And I was incredibly jealous for that. I said, I want to walk you down the aisle once. We're going to make sure it's Mr. Right. This is not a popularity context. Your boyfriend, friend might not like me. I had a guy call me once about Dana. He said, look, Chris, do you mind? I want to date Dana. And I said, no, you don't. He said, what do you mean? I said, no, you won't date her. 
We're not going to waste a whole lot of emotional energy on a relationship that won't end in marriage. He said, what? I said, this won't end in marriage. So why waste emotional energy pretending? He's wonderfully married. Dana's wonderfully married. I solved the problem. (laughs) I promised you to one husband. Paul writes to Christ, so that I might be present, I present you as a pure virgin to him. I sat with a young couple in the church or in the room tonight, and I said, I want you to know I am fiercely jealous about you. Especially, although not exclusively, the young girls in the church. I feel like in some way God has asked of me to father you. Some a little closer, some a little further, some will get the fathering through around the scriptures, others will be personal moments, coffee, or whatever the case may be. And again, I will do that without wanting to win the popularity context. I I just, I I won't do that. But what Paul is writing here is he's saying, "I, I want you to know I am super jealous of you. I try to be kind, I try to be good, but I must tell you, no one must touch you. Because the lion in me will roar. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the snake's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Folks, do you know how my heart is broken about those who've ghosted us during the pandemic? Just disappeared. Whom God joined to us. We're not trying to build the biggest church in town. That's God's business. He brings growth. My job as a father, a father, not the father in the community, is to look after you, make sure that you are growing in your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. If anyone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or you achieve, receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. And I just want to say, a couple of things, and then we're going to go to Habakkuk. One, please know I'm very, very jealous about you. You were God's gift to me in my old age. 57 to plant a church is not normal. Not knowing who would come, it's not normal. But God said some things to me. And I know when I stand before him one day, I will have to give an account for every one of you. So I'm fiercely jealous. And I want you to know, young ladies, I will protect you and look after you. If I catch a whiff, a guy comes into this church because the word out there, and it's true, is this church has incredibly beautiful women, I will identify him and I will go after him without apology. I know it's not cool, it's not very American, it's not very woke. I don't care in the slightest. I am fiercely jealous about your, how does he say it here? Your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I'm very jealous for that. Anything that distracts you from that. Can I also say, I don't think it's really healthy to go to lots and lots of meetings and churches. I think it's very unhealthy. God gives us a family or a community to grow and to mature in. See, I was saved in the charismatic renewal in 1975. I saw people running from meeting to meeting, the next cool buzz, the next cool hip moment, the new speaker who's come to town or the new band. 
I saw many of them not walking with the Lord a handful of years later because it's not meetings or God encounters that produces growth and maturity in me. It's the raw, naked reality of living life with a group of men and women in whom God is flowing by His Spirit. That doesn't mean we never go. Of course we go. But it's not our normal pattern. It's not what we do because we dive in deep here. I was part of the Toronto Blessing. And if you don't know what that means, God bless you. But I can tell you some pretty wild stories. But, dear friends, people chased encounter. Or you must go to this church, a great encounter. If you go to that church, you fall over. You must go to that church, the presence of God. You must go to that church because you kneel and fall. Many churches did not make it by those who ran from meeting to meeting and church to church. Because God never intended that way. He says he puts the lonely into meetings encounters or family he says in his word he puts the lonely which is all of us into family now that doesn't mean i don't go and have a meal with my friends but i don't want to suffer from spiritual indigestion because i'm having in and out monday tuesday i'm having ramen wednesday i'm having eastbourne thursday i'm having whatever what else give me another meal uh, tacos and, and so I get the spiritual indigestion because I've just got my diet is all messed up very unhealthy and if I didn't love you I would just encourage you to go everywhere and anywhere but it's not God's way you with me and lest I misunderstood I'm not saying never I'm saying not always it's not healthy God puts a family on a journey and he shapes us and forges us and molds us. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to apologize to my kids or to Meryl because I was foolish. You see, God does it that way. Never be enamored by the man or woman behind the mic. Never, 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 no matter how anointed they are, never. We are as fallible as you are. We are as weak as sometimes even more so, because God will judge heavily those who are teachers of the word. I invite you into a journey of growth and maturity. I invite you into a story in which you will see the hand of God take you, and it's hard. I mean, the one thing I said to Meryl when we were about to start this, and you know, we've done this a long time. I feel boring saying it all the time. But I said, babe, are you, are you ready for another whole set of relationships? Because we still got from our first church, our second church, our in-between time, our now time. Because that's what this is. It's about friends together on a journey in growth and maturity, on mission, seeing the gospel advance, seeing the kingdom advancing, and seeing the name of Jesus going out boldly and proudly. Are you with me? That might sound foolish to you. That's what Paul said. But I'm fiercely jealous about you. If there is another Jesus preached, and there are, it's a prosperity Jesus. Come to Jesus and get rich, and I'll drive fancy cars, and it's all fine. The problem with me is that I work with churches in India that can't have more than one meal a day. Please don't tell me I should drive a super $150,000 car, and it's God's blessing. Please don't. Do I want you to be blessed? Do I want to be blessed? Yes. But that's not the objective. That's not the objective. 
That's God's kindness to us. Capiche? Okay. All right, go to Habakkuk, please. Thank you for giving me some time. I'll try and speed read the others quickly. Habakkuk chapter 2. That was just a dad moment. Our series we've called Making Sense of It All. How do we make sense of everything that's been happening? And hopefully tonight there'll be a little bit of chlorine in the swimming pool. Habakkuk says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. God's response. My dear Habakkuk. I want you to go on a spiritual retreat. I just want you to come and be a part with me. I want you to go through some silence and solitude. He says, no, my son, look to the nations. I need you to look to the nations. Your view is too narrow. It's too myopic. It's too small. It's too narcissistic. I want you to look to the nations and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if I told you, or even if you'd be told. Now he describes, and I won't go it because, through, because of a period of time, because he tells them that he is sending the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. And he describes who these people are, and Habakkuk is completely flummoxed. But lest I run ahead of myself, what do we do with this passage? I think three things jump off the page at me instantly and has bearing on the days in which we live. The first is how long, O Lord? It's a prophetic prayer. And in order to ask that means that there is a boldness to enter God's presence. Those of you for whom God is silent in your devotional walk, be not surprised. It happens. But that never keeps us from a boldness to enter God's presence. It's a confidence that I can be honest with God and He can cope with my fragility. You know the charismatic renewal, and most of us would kind of put ourselves in there somewhere to the best that we can understand it. Sometimes we are led to believe that only prayers of boldness or courage or bravery or energy or victory or celebration are the really accepted prayers in heaven. If there are other kinds of prayers, it's like we look ensconce. It's like, really? Come on, brother, suck it up. Like suck it up is a verse in the Bible. But isn't it amazing? The prophet has not just a boldness to enter God's presence, but a confidence. God, you can cope with my fragility. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, but I'm hurting. One commentator called him the bleeding prophet. I'm bleeding on the inside, he says. Can you hear me? You're silent, but can you hear me? Silence does not drive Habakkuk out of God's presence. It pushes him deeper into God's presence. When he seems to be silent, it's our task and mandate to push harder into him. Sometimes it's because our ears are stuffed. Austin, what's that um, ear condition? Is it time? Where are you? What's it called? Tonight, just today? Yeah. Okay, that's what I've got. What is it? Yeah. So 
So those of you who whisper, I'm just going to smile at you kindly because I don't have a clue what you're saying. As I've gotten older, I hear this ringing in my ear, and I can't hear as clearly. So my kids have now realized, I said, I'm sorry. I, I put it on the table. This is, my hearing is softer than it used to be. You're going to have to speak up. Now, God doesn't suffer from this. But, but just because he's silent does not mean he is angry or bitter. But we push further into him. We can speak to God with lament. You know, in 1 Peter 2, it speaks about, I urge you then, first of all, with petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. It has a beautiful list of petitions where I get before God with a list. Loved it. Prayers, other kinds of prayers, contemplative prayer, meditative prayers, intercession, where I stand between God and. And thanksgiving, where I, my, my, my prayer life is one of deep gratitude but this adds to our spiritual vocabulary, dear friends. And those of you who've wrestled, who felt, sorry, my voice. Those of you who've wrestled, who felt it's so hard to pray. How can God listen to me? I feel like I'm whinging and whining. To lament, one commentator said, is to express deep regret or grief or sorrow. We can lament through words or actions. Lamenting is a common theme in the Bible, he says. In fact, there is a, an Old Testament book called Lamentations. Lamentations. Where it's all about lamenting. And I think God wants to increase our prayer culture, our prayer life, our prayer language, our prayer vocabulary, so that we can be men and women who know how to bleed for whatever we are bleeding for. Habakkuk was bleeding for his nation. Oh, at this time that we would have men and women who are not flag-waving Americans, God bless America, but who are bleeding for the nation, who are found at the throne of grace with systemic um, rhythm, systematic rhythm, oh God, oh God, oh God. It's a beautiful thing where we don't view politics as a solution ever. Economics, ever. They're all good. They add to it. But the prevailing answer of all prayers is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And dear friends, if you have felt yourself beginning to groan sometimes when you don't have words, it's because God is teaching you to lament. And we feel guilty and we feel shameful. I can't even pray about this. No, sir, madam, you cannot. Because there's a deep inner groaning and a grieving inside of you. You know, when we prayed through the end of apartheid South Africa, and it's kind of funny because most of you are so young, you have no clue what I'm talking about. Apartheid was a political system that basically was designed 19, after the war, 1950s. The then Minister of Education, Hendrik Verwoerd, got up and said, we know from the Bible, dangerous when we craft our political agenda around the scripture. Because he said, we know according to the Bible that Cain was always designed to serve. We know that black people are from the line of Cain. We know they are meant to serve. We will give them an education that will teach them to serve. I'm not joking. 
There was a socio-political stance that, saved, that shaped education. We who were whites got an education to be in charge. The blacks got an education to serve. I hope you're horrified. Well, can you imagine what our prayer was like? Not, oh God, just bless our country. Oh God, make us prosperous. Oh God, let me get a bigger salary, a bigger house, a bigger car. No, we went through half nights of groaning where we had no English speaking prayers because we were bleeding on the inside. We cried out to God where words were not enough. All night prayer. That's the invitation here. That's the call that God is saying. Do you want to come and be here with me? When Mandela walked out of prison with his wife, I wept as I saw it on television because I knew that God had answered our prayers. But it wasn't cheap. It wasn't cheap. Many a Christian is saying, oh, Trump's the answer. Of course he isn't. It must be the non-Trump, Biden. He's the, no, he's not. God is the only true answer. And when the church, the church is on her knees, pounding away at the throne of grace, oh God, oh God, hear my lament. Hear my cry. Hear my bleating heart. David, the king, the poet, songwriter, warrior said, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? This is a king crying out to God for his nation. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Do you see the journey from lament to celebration? There's no shortcut. The second thing that is obvious to me is how Habakkuk, you with me? Can you cope with my voice? Habakkuk now describes his nation. Do you feel like he's describing America right now? Let's have a look. Firstly, verse 2 speaks about violence. The 2020 crime report from the FBI said homicides have risen 30% from 2019 to 2020, the largest single-year increase the agency has recorded since it began tracking it in the 1960s. There were more than 21,500 murders last year. I suspect God's not happy. I suspect waving a flag is not enough. I suspect singing the national anthem isn't quite going to cut it. Or the answer lies in some politician who's going to have a better political structure for immigration and racism. The second thing that he cries out, oh God, injustice prevails. It's an unfair treatment is how Webster's describes it. A situation in which the rights of a person or a group are ignored. I know this is prickly, folks. 
I understand that. And I think part of coming where I come from, there's no judgment or, or what, nothing at all. Who's the basketball coach for the Golden Warriors? Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. Do you know what he said on an interview? When he was asked about racism in this country, he said, you know, all that I can say is I've never had to prepare my children from when the police stop me or stop them. But there's hardly a black father who hasn't done that. Do you think that's just? Thirdly, wrongdoing. Violence, injustice, wrongdoing. I've got so many stats here, I won't bore you with them all. Last month in San Francisco's downtown and the posh Union Square shopping district, groups broke into Louis Vuitton, Burberry, and Bloomingdale's at the height of the shopping season. In suburban Wall Creek, Walnut Creek, about 80 people, some wearing ski masks and carrying crowbars, grabbed armful of merchandise from Nordstrom. In Los Angeles, more than $330,000 in goods were stolen in 11 smash and grab incidents over the two weeks. Do you think Habakkuk's describing our nation? Destruction. January the 6th, 140 prosecutors have worked on the investigation. Investigators have gone through more than 20,000 hours of video footage. 725 people have been arrested. 165 have pleaded guilty. 70 have been sentenced. Destruction of the city's capital. Strife. Portland, Oregon, the Proud Boys, a far-right hate group, and the far-left Antifa clashed in Portland on Sunday following separate demonstrations. I was there the next week. It looked like a war zone. Do you think Habakkuk is describing our nation? Conflict. The cities where there's been defunding of police officers. New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Philadelphia, Minneapolis, and Baltimore, Portland, and Austin. Portland saw 530% increase in murder rate. Austin saw a 74% rise in the murder rate. New York's rate was 56%. Chicago rose by 54%. Do you think Habakkuk was talking about us? God hears, dear friend, the bleating of the sheep. Friends of ours own a farm out in Temecula. The first time we went out there, there were incredibly beautiful sheep. They're actually from South Africa. And uh, I said to Paul, I said, Paul, tell me about these sheep a little bit. And then I saw two massive big dogs, white dogs, the white, white, white dogs. And I said, what about these dogs? And he said, you know, we brought these sheep in. And then we found predators jumping on them, killing them, eating them. And so we brought in a number of great Pyrenees or Anatolian shepherds. These are dogs that have been specifically designed to protect the sheep. He said, what's interesting is the moment you put them in the paddock, they run in and they run around the perimeter to make sure there's no predator in the paddock. They spend most of the day just chilling out, but in the evening, they hunt in pairs. They've killed coyotes, uh, wildcat, lynxes. The sheep are doing just fine. 
And I was thinking of that as I was prepping this because our cry to God is the bleating of the sheep so that the shepherd can do what? So the shepherd can get the shepherd's attention. I just went and Googled, why do sheep bleat, believe it or not. It's there. It's like crazy things that you can see. And you'll be happy to know they bleat during mating season. But that has nothing to do with our message whatsoever. But it calls the shepherd into action. And I really do believe, dear friends, that God has heard the bleating of the sheep. He's heard our cry. And the shepherd, the great shepherd of our soul, has been activated to act on our behalf. I have about five minutes left. How long, O Lord? Violence, strife, injustice, and God's response that is so crazy. Look to the nations. Isn't that a crazy answer? Why? Well, we know from a Hebrew mind that takes us back to the beginning. Abraham, Adam and Eve, God said, increase, multiply, fill the earth. So there's an invitation to a bigger story. Can I tell you what the pandemic has done? It shrunk all of us to a me, my world. I stockpile cupboards of toilet paper. I don't care if others don't have as long as I've got. It's called out, excuse me, generally the worst and then my daughter was telling me in Australia, they've got supermarkets that have nothing. People have just stockpiled cans, stockpiled toilet paper, stockpiled everything. And I feel it's like God cupping his face, Habakkuk's face. And he says, my boy, look at the nations. Look at what I'm doing in the nations. You're going to be staggered. You are going to be amazed. But as long as you look inward and downward, you will never understand what it is I'm on about. Folk, God is not... I mean, can I say it this way? America is not the new Israel. I hear people talk as if America is kind of God's chosen nation. Please, don't be theologically poor. Christian nationalism is born out of that foolhardy idea. We are a nation in all of history, and I love history, that has been the most blessed, most prosperous, most kind of any other civilization in all of history. Life has never been as easy, never been as simple. I know there are complexities. But that doesn't mean we are God's replacement to Israel. Israel was the chosen people. The church is God's chosen people. Now, I'm not saying Israel has stopped being that. Please don't read into me what I'm saying. The church is God's chosen people now. A holy nation. But look to the nations. I would love every one of you to get out of this nation in the next 18 months. To save up your shekels and go and see, even if you can just go across the border to an orphanage. Or go with Harry or what, uh, why am I doing south of the border. Or come with me to England and Wales or Dubai or, or with Sam to the orphanage in South Africa that we work into. Or India and Sri Lanka. Look to the nations. See what God is doing. Hear the stories that God is on about. Locked in the myopia of my own survivalism will never bring the great grand overview of what God is doing. It may hurt you. It may surprise you. But I land with this. There's so much more to say. I've said enough for one night. God is sovereign. 
Now, that means many things to different people. We're going to take one whole evening just on how sovereign God is, and we'll dialogue around it, which scares the heck out of me. Because what happens if you ask me a question I can't answer? Then Joe or Tyler will have to answer it. But there is an invitation this evening, dear friends. As our world is shrunk by the myopia called pan- the pandemic, as we have, you know, it's interesting. I listened to public broadcasting radio uh, um, this week. I was driving, and uh, they interviewed a man who has been going through trauma counseling. And all that he did was he went through the pandemic. And he said, I felt so guilty. I felt such shame. How can I go through trauma therapy when all that I've done is lived and didn't go in a car accident, didn't get beaten up, just lived in these, these are traumatic times, dear friends. And part of COVID, I don't know how many of you know, they are saying one of the symptoms of COVID is depression. So you think, what's wrong with me? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I downcast, oh my soul? Come on, suck it up, boy. No, just lament. Just lament. These are brutal, brutal times. But part of the way God gets us to lament is look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Look to the hills. And when I can't see clearly because they mists, look some more and look some more until he emerges out of the mist and I know him to be the lover of my soul, the father of my faith, the empowerer of my spirit. And then I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is him and his time. Look to the nations. Get to the nations. And see what God is doing. I, I land with this. A brother from India sent me some pictures today. Yesterday. So proud. So proud. Send me a picture of the food. Even in spite of the pandemic, Chris, this is the food we have, and it was beans and rice. And so proud that they could eat like this. So proud that they could share a meal together as a church. It was beautifully culturally amazing. He's sitting on the chair, his wife's sitting at his feet. It's the culture. I sit there and I weep. So proud. Sends me pictures of this. Isn't God good? Yes, so he is. It's when we are stuck. God, you solve this the way I say, my way, my time. That's how you solve this. And he smiles and says, look to the nations. Look, look, you will be amazed at what I will do. Dee, can you join me up here, please? Close your eyes if you don't mind. Open your hands on your lap if you don't mind. Such a cool posture of surrender and submission. We're not embarrassed that we lament where our nation is at at this time. We're not embarrassed or ashamed that we've carried trauma 
in our hearts for two brutal years. We're not guilty that we've been confused by what's happened in our nation that 10 years ago seemed immovable, unbending, unshakable. But you said once more will I shake the heavens and the earth. But then you will come down. And now there's an invitation to look and see what he is doing. I hear of angels appearing to Muslims in refugee camps. I hear of sovereign provision, God taking the proverbial loaves and the fishes and feeding his people. I hear of um, security checkpoints being blinded as Christians move through. I hear of people worshiping God at two o'clock in the morning because it's the only time it's safe. Oh, I hear so much. He's not caught off God, dear friend. His silence is not surrendered. Could you stand with me, please? Thank you for being so gracious. I'm sorry about my voice. I'd love us to sing one more closing anthem on his magnificence, just how beautiful he is. Look to the nations and be amazed, for I will do a thing in your day that you would not have believed it even if I had told you.